welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Today on the VHive, I have Dr. Howard Schubiner here, which is so exciting because I have been reading your work and your book and posting about it on social media all the time. And everyone knows that follows me how much I love you and everything you do. So thank you so much for being here. Well, that's very kind. Thank you so much, Hannah. I appreciate it. So Dr. Schubiner is the founder and director of the Mind Body Medicine Center at Ascension Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan. He is also a clinical professor of medicine at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Trained under Dr. John Zarno, Dr. Schubiner developed an innovative and effective program to help patients find relief from chronic pain. Dr. Schubiner is board certified in pediatrics and internal medicine and has been listed as one of the best doctors in America by the Best Doctors website since 1996. Last but not least, he is the author of the book, Unlearn Your Pain, and has conducted groundbreaking research in mind-body medicine. So I have a lot of questions to ask you, and our listeners have a lot of questions to ask you as well. But first, will you just give us a little bit of a background into how you got started in this field and more specifically in the mind-body medicine space? Yeah, that's an interesting story. I, uh, I was actually interested in mind-body medicine quite a lot when I was in college, uh, but that was a long time ago. And uh, I joined the faculty of Wayne State University School of Medicine in Detroit in the early 80s. And I had a career, I was there for 18 years, studying a variety of things uh, that were unrelated to pain uh, completely. Mm-hmm. and uh, not super related to mind-body medicine either. Uh, and in 2002, I had moved to Providence Hospital, where I am now, and uh, my, uh, my boss at the time said he had read a book by Dr. John Sarno about chronic pain and that I should read it because his close friend had a fantastic, you know, basically miraculous recovery uh, from chronic uh, hip and back pain by reading that book. So I did. And I just was, it was just a point in my life where I was unsure of what my next little mini career would be. And uh, I really was fascinated by what Dr. Sarno had put together. And I called him up and I said, Hey, Dr. Sarno, can I come work with you? And he said, Sure, Howard, come on down to New York City. And uh, so I met him and saw how he worked. And I came back to my hospital and I said, I want to start a clinic here. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to people with chronic pain and see what I can learn. And that was 18 years ago. And it's kind of taken over my whole career, uh, my life in some ways. Uh, I've been extremely fortunate to, to find an area that really needs attention in medicine. 
and really needs, uh, in my humble opinion, needs changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot. And I mean, thank you for doing this work because it is, I agree, it's so important. And it's by far, you know, one of the, if not the most interesting and crucial aspects of healing chronic pain that I've come across in the past few years of talking to doctors and physical therapists and sex therapists. I mean, this is just the most, like I, I couldn't even believe that I was living with issues for so long and didn't know about this. I was initially introduced to TMS and mind-body medicine through Nicole Sachs, who I'm sure you're familiar with. And it's just, it's incredible. And so I thank you for being here and just, I'm excited for you to share every thing that you have to offer. And I also watched the documentary, All the Rage, and you were a big part of that, which was really interesting to see. Yeah, um, and it's not, it is chronic pain. There's more money spent on chronic pain in this country than diabetes, cancer, and heart disease combined. Mm -hmm. uh, there's more people who suffer with chronic pain than those as well. Yeah. And uh, so, and, you know, the traditional medical approach to chronic pain is, um, is hampered by the fact that we as a medical profession don't really understand pain. And we haven't benefited, we haven't taken the advantage of recent changes in emerging fields of neuroscience, which explain how the brain works. Mm -hmm. And you can't understand chronic pain without understanding the brain because chronic pain is a function of the brain. All pain actually is a function of the brain. When you touch a hot stove, uh, nerve signals go to your brain that are danger signals, but pain can only occur in the brain. Mm -hmm. And as you probably are become aware, and your readers may become may now be aware that not all injuries cause pain. Yeah, the brain decides when and what kind of pain to activate, even when there is a hot stove or a broken ankle. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that doctors are not? practicing or teaching or educated in this form of of treatment this treatment approach like why do you think that this is so it's so rare you know you're such a rare doctor dr sarno is such a rare doctor like why is it that way yeah it's a great question uh modern medicine hasn't kept up with modern neuroscience number one mm -hmm. uh and you know doctors for you know the last many decades have been taught that pain is due to something wrong in the body which certainly can be the case uh, but most chronic pain is actually not due to something wrong in the body most chronic pain is due to neural circuits in the brain that have been activated and they're getting reinforced constantly uh, by our reaction to them and uh, so this field of mind-body medicine has kind of been relegated to psychiatry or to alternative medicine or to, you know, meditation kind of practices. And regular doctors just have not been informed of it. I was, I was not informed of that for, you know, the first 18 years of my career. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and it was only by chance reading Dr. Sarno's book that I got introduced to it. So it's yeah. not taught. Yeah. And, I, and I, I've been unable to be able to speak at the two medical schools with which I've been affiliated. Because, of it, because it's just not accepted? Because they're too busy. And they've got mm -hmm. so many other things to teach the medical students uh, because it's not deemed to be important enough, I guess. But when yeah. you think about how common this problem is, how much money is spent, how much suffering there is, and if you think about how many people come to a doctor for something which is turns out to be a mind-body condition, not just pain, but, you know, upset stomach and uh, urinary frequency and, um, you know, numbness and tingling and... Uh, you know, headache and, um, you know, things that are, that, you know, we, modern medicine really can't explain very well. Mm -hmm. You put all that together, it's a really incredibly common occurrence. Mm -hmm. It happens every day and to every doctor in this country. Yeah, it's so unfortunate, but do you see this changing at any point in the future? Yes. When? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but for sure, uh -huh. you can't keep a good idea down forever. Yeah. I mean, people are suffering. And, you know, frankly, it's not the doctors, for the most part, who are driving this revolution and thinking about it. It's the people. It's mm -hmm. the people who have this problem. They're the ones who have the most to gain and who are suffering mm -hmm. the most. You know, it's people like you who are desperately searching yeah. For something to alleviate their pain or, or, or other symptoms, you know, that they have. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when they can't find the answer in regular medicine, then they look elsewhere. Right. Unfortunately, alternative medicine doesn't always offer an answer either. Yeah, that's very true. So I want to know if you, I mean, I'm sure that you have in some capacity, but we all know that Dr. Sarno received a lot of backlash and wasn't really accepted as a doctor and people just didn't really treat him that well. Have you experienced some of these similar issues? Uh, not, not, not really, not directly. I mm -hmm. mean, I speak to a lot of physicians. I do a lot of lecturing and they almost all of them are like yeah that makes sense they shake their head and they go yeah well, this makes sense but the problem is they don't really know how to integrate it into their practice right. they don't know what to do with it um it's not you know we don't want to be we don't want to have doctors in the position where they're just saying to the patient oh it's all in your head and leaving them to be angry and upset and invalidated uh we certainly don't want that i'm actually working on a an app to teach doctors how to diagnose these these mind-body conditions and how to communicate with patients mm -hmm. effectively about them uh, but uh, that's very my, interesting my patients get backlash you know yeah. sometimes patients will come into their doctor their regular doctors and tell them they're working on mind-body medicine or they want to use this approach and their doctors may uh, not be happy with them or may, you know, mm -hmm. have misconceptions about. So, you know, I think that a lot of people listening are familiar with 
mind-body medicine and mind-body syndrome. I've had, as I said, Nicole Sachs talk about this a lot on the podcast before. I've been talking about it a lot, but for anyone who isn't familiar with what this is, let's kind of start by having you explain what mind-body medicine is. Well, it depends how much your listeners really want to know, but it really, like I said, it starts with understanding how the brain works. And uh, there's a bunch of uh, lectures and information on my website and some articles we've written, but our brain actually creates what we experience. We don't see with our eyes only. Light comes in our eyes, but our brain, our visual cortex in our brain literally has to create the images that we see. And our brain is in control of what those images are. If I gave you glasses, prism glasses that turned the world literally upside down, you would see everything upside down for a couple of days, and then your brain would change things and turn them right side up. Mm-hmm. Because your brain has the ability to create what we see and what we hear. And it's similarly with what we feel. So our brain decides exactly what we feel in relation to what it thinks we should feel. And so, you know, everyone knows the story with the guy who had a nail all the way, piercing all the way through his boot from a construction site accident. And he had tremendous pain. Uh, But when he got to the hospital, the boot was taken off and there was no damage at all. The nail had pierced right between his toes. There was Mm -hmm. no injury. But his brain had produced tremendous and severe pain. And that pain is real because our brains create Our brain decides when and what pain to create at any given moment. And pain is a protector. We need pain. If we didn't have pain, we would we would walk on a a broken ankle. Yeah, (laughs) it's a horrible thing to happen. So it's understanding the brain is the first part about it, and understanding that pain is a decision made by the brain. Mm -hmm. Now that's a radical and revolutionary statement in and of itself. But once you understand that, then you can you can uh, evaluate an individual who has pain or other symptoms and decide if those symptoms are caused by a structural injury in the body or by the brain. Right. And that's that's the distinction that we're making. So mind body medicine is treating those people who have non-structural problems who have what we call neural circuit uh, symptoms or neural circuit pain because the neural circuits in the brain are what's producing and making that those symptoms persistent. Mm -hmm. And so we've developed very clear and very specific criteria on how to diagnose those problems and separate out what's structural from what's not structural. So can you talk for a minute about how you would rule out a structural problem and what is a structural problem versus a neurocircuit problem? Yeah. Well, doctors do this every day. I mean, that's what doctors are trained to do is rule out structural problems. If you have a kidney stone, that's a structural problem. Right. You know, if you have a cancer, a tumor, an infection, uh, an inflammatory condition like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, those are, those, those, conditions have tissue damage associated with them and that's in contradistinction to a non-structural problem like tension headaches 
migraine headaches. Mm-hmm. When you uh-huh. do, when you when you diagnose someone with tension headache or migraine headache, what you're saying is the doctor is saying, "Well, we looked at your brain. There's no tumor, no infection. There's no bleed up there. You're not suffering with a sinus condition or a tooth condition or an ear condition. This is headache." Right. And then the patient will say, "Well, why do I have headache?" And the doctor will say, "We don't know." And what we're doing is we're saying, yeah, we we do know. <laughs> this is a mind, a specific thing. It's a mind-body condition. Mm-hmm. And mind-body conditions are things that uh, for which the brain has turned on a symptom in response to feeling endangered. So when you break your arm, the signals, your brain receives signals from your arm, and you, the brain decides you're in danger, and it turns on pain. But when you're in danger in your life from a, uh, you know, a teenage, uh, a teenage son who's using drugs or a spouse who's abusive or a boss who's micromanaging or a neighbor that you're arguing with or a, a parent who's wildly overprotective, your brain feels in danger, emotionally speaking. Mm-hmm. And research on the brain shows that emotional dangers or emotional assaults activate the exact same neural circuits in the brain as does a physical injury. That's so wild. Our, brain, our brains are wired to create symptoms such as pain or fatigue or insomnia or depression or anxiety, for example, when we feel trapped when we feel assaulted when we feel we have we are being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. let's talk about your book for a minute unlearn your pain i read about 85 percent of it i have a little bit left to go but i did do a lot of the work in it and it's pretty incredible can you explain you know what makes this book and your approach a little bit different than the other TMS work that's already out there? Well, uh, you know, it, the, the work in my book and mm-hmm. the other uh, the other people who are doing our form of mind-body medicine, which is kind of often loosely referred to as TMS work, mm-hmm. which is honoring Dr. Sarno and his coinage, his verbiage that he used. Mm-hmm. Um, there's much more similarities than there are differences. Right. So we, we can start with that. Um, my approach is based on the neuroscience and it's based on science. So, so it's super written in a super scientific way. Uh, number one, uh, number two, it's a self-guided recovery program. So people are guided through a process to help them sort out these, these distinctions between understanding what the problem is or is their symptoms due to a structural problem or not so they're guided to, to understand that mm-hmm. and then there's a whole workbook component to it uh which includes a variety of, of meditations a variety of exercises a variety of writing um expressive writing uh exercises um and, and just tons of stuff it's amazing <laughs> to uh you know to help people uh, get better and recover not just to cope with their pain, yeah. but to eliminate. So the one other thing that I want you to go over is, because I think this is really important for everyone listening to hear, can you 
just go through what some other structural issues may be that you would rule out before diagnosing someone with mind-body syndrome? Sure. Uh, so headaches, migraine, intention headaches, not structural. Fibromyalgia, not structural. Mm. Irritable bowel syndrome, not structural. Interstitial cystitis, not structural. Pudendal neuralgia, not structural. Vulvodynia, not structural. Coccidinia, not structural. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you with me so far? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a condition called small fiber neuropathy, not structural. Uh, burning mouse syndrome, not structural. TMJ syndrome, not structural. POTS, POTS, postural orthostatic, tachycardia syndrome, not structural. Now, I'm making some broad generalizations here. Mm. Um, And so there may be some people who are diagnosed with TMJ uh, uh, or interstitial interstitial cystitis who may have some degree of structural problem. So every case needs to be taken on an individual basis. You know, so I evaluate everybody individually. I don't just say, oh, you've got TMJ for sure. That's 100% not structural. Right. But it's like 95%. You know, all the things that I've mentioned are somewhere in the 95 to 99% not structural. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. pudendal neuralgia just means there's pain in the pudendal nerve area. It's a neuralgia. It's not a, it's not a nerve entrapment syndrome. Mm-hmm. What uh, for you know for the vast majority at least I can say that. Mm-hmm. What what uh, is structural? So what is yeah. structural? What is structural? Wanna, that yeah. was your, your actual question. <laughs> what is structural? So, you know, if someone has severe osteoarthritis and degeneration of the knee or hip, that can be a structural problem. Some right. people need new hips or need new knees. Some people have injuries to their shoulders. Those can certainly be structural. Um, but again, those still need to be evaluated, not just because someone has osteoarthritis of the knee or the hip or the shoulder on an x-ray doesn't mean that the pain is actually due to that disorder because research shows that many people have, most people have some osteoarthritis in those joints who have no pain. Mm-hmm. So again, and, and how we diagnose that uh, just to diverge for one second, how we diagnose what is structural versus what isn't is by is by most importantly the characteristics of the pain. Hmm. Pain that comes and goes, turns on and off. Pain that's inconsistent. It'll be there in certain situations, but not others. Like it might hurt if you sit in a certain chair, but not another chair. Right. Uh, pain that's triggered by innocuous stimuli, like the weather, like cold, like cold, like hot like light, like sound, those kinds of sensitivities are, are telling us that it's the brain turning them on because light and sound don't cause pain. Mm-hmm. They can right. trigger the brain to cause pain as a conditioned response. Right. Now, when you get to back and chronic back and neck pain, the vast, again, I, I sounds really radical and revolutionary, but the majority, probably the vast majority of people with chronic neck and back pain do not have a structural problem. Mm. Again, you have the same situation because MRIs of people's necks and backs are almost always abnormal. But 
those abnormalities are normal. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's normal for people to have degenerative disc disease. That does not cause pain. But most doctors will tell you that it does. So, you know, there's a difference of understanding and opinion here. Mm-hmm. If you have an, an infection in the back, a tumor in the back, a fracture in the back, obviously that's a structural condition. Right. Some people can have, many people have bulging discs that cause no pain at all. On the other hand, you can have a very large bulging dish that can uh, affect the nerves, and that's why those people need to be evaluated to determine if it is actually structural or not. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's really interesting and really important for everyone to hear because, you know, even people have asked me numerous times, like, I understand what mind-body syndrome is, but what, you know, could you have that's not mind body syndrome like what actually would would you need to either you know take a medication or have a surgery for and so that's why i'm really glad that we just went over that because i think understanding the distinction is necessary but something that i've really wanted to ask you which i also hear from a lot of people and then i want to get it because i as i mentioned before we started recording I got so many messages from people, so many questions that people wanted me to ask you. So I want to get into all of those. But there's one question that I have that I know a lot of people listening have as well. So let's take a woman with pelvic pain. And, you know, she's had pelvic pain for five years and she's been to countless gynecologists, urologists, doctors, therapists, you name it, and then finally comes across mind-body medicine work and starts doing the work, whether it's Nicole Sachs's program or your book or reading Dr. Sarno's books, and it works about 90%. And I've had a few women, women on my podcast share their healing stories with mind-body medicine from, like, you know, on disability leave, being bedridden, um, being suicidal, and then myself included, where my pain was never that severe, but I still was in pain, and I came across this work, and it helped me tremendously as well. But I think there's a, that there's a huge area or or you know set of people that do this work. It helps them tremendously. They get to about ninety ninety five percent better but they still get a flare up once in a while, or they still have some lingering vulvodynia or lingering bladder urgency, myself included. And I think that it comes to a point where, you know, myself or others are at a standstill because you feel like you've done everything, you've spent six months doing this work and you still have a little something left and you don't know what to do about it. Okay, yeah, great question. There's a lot of things that could be going on. Uh, First of all, if someone is having no or very minimal symptoms symptoms most of the time, but is having, you know, upticks in symptoms or like flares on occasion, Mm -hmm. um, that's because they're human. Right. (laughs) You know, you're always going to have a brain and a body. Right. And uh, I get symptoms, you know, not infrequently because I have a brain and a body. And I think it's just normal for people to have some mind-body symptoms some of the time. And uh, it's actually a barometer. 
you know, you can use a, a flare symptoms as a barometer of what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. It's like a smoke alarm. It's a protector. You know, your brain is there protecting you. And if you and if you get a flare of symptoms, you might want to ask yourself, what's going on? You know, is there something in my life that's bothering me right now? So that certainly can be a useful thing. So you, you don't have to look at it as a bad thing or as a negative thing necessarily. So that's one thing I would say. Secondly, the brain can just turn on symptoms here and there willy-nilly because it, it has those symptoms. And subconsciously, maybe something's bothering us, but we don't even know what it is. And so... You know, we don't have to worry. You just don't have to freak out about it or worry about it or think that you're falling back into square, you know, you're going back to square one mm-hmm. or that this will never turn off. You know, it came before, it turned off before, it's coming back now, it'll turn off again. Right. You know, it's really important not to, you know, the, the medical term kind of psychological term is catastrophize, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really important not to uh, go to the worst case scenario. Uh, because, like I say, this is part of being human. Yeah. Um, yeah. If there's low-level symptoms, then you might want to ask yourself, does it matter? Am I okay? Mm-hmm. Do I need to be uh, 100% pain-free? Is this bothering me? Is this annoying me? Is this sticking in my craw? Because sometimes just letting go of the expectation that you need to be 100% better will allow your brain to relax so that you will become 100% better. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, we can take my story, for example, because I know it's a pretty common one. I had vulvodynia and pelvic floor dysfunction, and, you know, maybe I see, maybe not, I don't know, but bladder urgency and frequency and like everything's gone I feel great I have energy and I can you know I have a boyfriend and my sex life is good and like everything is great but I still have bladder urgency that's like mild but it's there you know a hundred percent of the time I feel like I have to pee and it doesn't get in the way of my life it doesn't prevent me from doing anything I'm not really like that focused on it but it's something that I'd like to have not be there but it's you know and I've spoken to a bunch of people about it and and I know that there's so many women who are in a similar position where they're like I feel fine I can do everything I feel good actually um but but what like what now you know so well first of all pelvic just to mention pelvic floor dysfunction is another one of those non-structural conditions right so your your viewers your reader your listeners i suppose mm-hmm. say will will understand that um so do you, are you having that right now mm-hmm. does it bother you no not at all it's annoying Exactly. It's a mildly annoying thing. Right. So if it's annoying, it's bothering you, right? That's true. (laughs) And so your feeling toward it is annoyance. So Uh every time you have it, you feel annoyed. And every time you feel annoyed, that actually reinforces having it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's what I call the five F's that people need to avoid fear of the, of the symptom over focus on it, monitoring it, 
you know, observing, watching it all the time, you know, seeing if it's better or worse, constant focus on it. That's, that's not helpful. That reinforces it. Fighting, fighting it, being frustrated by it, which can, can, you know, annoyance is part of that. And fifthly, trying to fix it. Mm. So you're not broken. Right. You know, this is just a lingering, this is just a neural circuit in your brain that has just been activated. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I fully believe that. Right. Does that make sense? It makes a hundred percent sense. I fully believe that. Like I've stopped trying to, you know, go to a urologist or figure out what's wrong or take supplements. Like I'm overdoing all of that. And that makes a hundred percent sense. Like I'm so aware that it's just like a sensation and, and a, you know, kind of a mind body like it's it's the neuro circuit it's just my brain firing these signals so yeah that that's really helpful to hear so if you right now if you took your annoyance toward it right mm. and you just set that aside for a moment can you do that mm-hmm. just just take the annoyance aside okay okay so what do you feel toward it now Um, I don't know. Okay. Could you be maybe curious about it? Yeah. Uh, remember that symptoms are a protector, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, it's your brain working to protect you from something, and somehow your brain is considering you still need a little bit of protection, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're... And maybe we, we could investigate that. Maybe you could see, well, maybe there's something that's still protecting me from. Maybe if I didn't have this, what would happen? You know, maybe my brain thinks I would, you know, go crazy and work on this podcast, you know, 100 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So it's afraid maybe if, if my brain is still warning me that I'm, too much of a perfectionist or too much of a people pleaser or I have too much of an internal critic or something. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like so it's fearing what... Aside, if you set aside the annoyance toward it, uh, maybe you can be curious about it. Maybe you can be compassionate toward it. Because mm-hmm. this part of your brain has been working a long time to try to alert you and alarm you. And maybe it's just tired. Right. <laughs> I think you it know? is, yeah. So if you change your view toward it, if you change your your viewpoint of it, your attitude toward it, and you take a viewpoint that's not annoying but curious and maybe compassionate and maybe exploring, is there something else maybe I need to do? And maybe you could have a little conversation with this, this part of you that's creating this um, urgency. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You could have a little conversation, see what it has to say. You could ask it, like, gee, what's going on? You know, what are you worried about? What are you concerned that might be, you know, that, that I might do or I might fall into? You know, I, I'd like to know because maybe there's a, a message here or a lesson for me. You know, mm-hmm. that'd be interesting. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and that. So there's a variety of ways. That's an interesting way to approach it that I find to be really uh, radical. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that, you know, my brain or anyone else's who's in a similar position 
might ha still have that fear that if I am absolutely okay, it it's a fear of like a subconscious fear of being 100% okay, because then what will you do with that? Um, yeah. is, is that what you're saying? Well, that's one up. That's one possibility. Absolutely. Right. right. But there may be many others. Mm -hmm. but the point is you can explore. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can look inside and see, um, you know, what might be going on. Because what you said resonated with me a lot. Like, can you put the annoyance aside and, and kind of come up with another feeling towards the sensation? What if someone, and for me, I can definitely do that, or I, at least I can work on doing it because I'm not in that much pain personally. So I think it's something that would be relatively doable. But for someone who's in, you know, like the depths of their pain, the height of their pain, and is like, I can, there is absolutely no way I can find any other way to describe this or feel about this besides anger and frustration and sadness do you have like certain steps that they could take to feel you know less angry feelings well uh you know there's certainly people who are you know suffering in severe pain uh certainly may need to you know, take medication mm -hmm. and, um, you know, do a variety of measures, massage and heat and ice and, you know, things like that to, to temporize in the meantime so that they can feel a little bit better so that they can begin to do this work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this work is simple, really, but mm -hmm. it's not always easy. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, mm -hmm. but the, the severity of the pain does not tell us what the cause is. Mm -hmm. Right. So the brain, the brain can produce pain as severe as child labor or kidney stones or, you know, any kind of pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a lot easier, obviously, if you have, you know, mild pain or the pain, you know, is intermittent and comes and goes people who have severe and you know an unrelenting pain mm -hmm. it can still be it can still be due to the brain right uh, and the techniques of how to deal with it are still there right uh, you know are the all the things that you know we've been talking about and that you know that i've written about mm -hmm. so okay i want to spend a few minutes the few minutes that we have left going over going through the questions that i got from our listeners today who are already quite knowledgeable about mind body syndrome but have questions that they want you to answer so the first question is can mind body syndrome show visual symptoms such as redness inflammation discharge etc uh, yeah, we see a lot of, of visual symptoms uh, that are mind-body conditions, uh, dry eye, blurry vision, sensitivity to light, um, uh, eye pain, uh, of course. Uh, redness, inflammation, and discharge are less common. Uh, those, uh, the, the brain can produce uh, some degree of, uh, of inflammation. Um, 
but you know obviously you have to have your eyes examined to make sure that mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that there's nothing you know structurally wrong mm-hmm. how does the brain produce symptoms such as redness and, and inflammation for example well uh, the brain controls the autonomic nervous system it controls the blood vessels so if the blood vessels dilate or constrict uh, dilation of the blood vessels such as blushing of the skin is a redness of the skin mm-hmm. so if you have dilation of the blood vessels that can cause redness um, if you have constriction of the blood vessels that can cause like you know pale paleness conversely mm-hmm. uh, uh, the brain usually doesn't cause the brain can cause swelling like stomach bloating we see that not uncommonly mm-hmm. we've seen we've documented that people can have swelling of their hands due to the brain um, the brain by itself usually doesn't cause actual inflammation a lot of times people think they have inflammation um, because they have pain but that's not necessarily true but uh, inflammation what we what I would call macro inflammation that you can see uh, with um, you know uh, a lot of redness, heat, swelling, um, discharge. That's usually not the brain. The next question is, since TMS is essentially repressed emotions stored in the body, what if you are a highly emotional person? Well, um, you know, TMS or, or mind-body conditions are often initiated by emotions. Uh, but they're not always perpetuated by emotional trauma. Uh, they can easily be perpetuated by just neural circuits in the brain that get reinforced and, and continually activated by what I was talking about before, the fear, the focus on it, the frustration, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. So the emotional content of something that happened that might have triggered pain might, you might have worked worked that through or, or it's not really present right now and you don't really necessarily have to deal with it mm-hmm. at the current time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important uh, to understand. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're all highly emotional people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, definitely we are emotional am. people. Yeah. And uh, that's people are emotional. Uh, whether you notice your emotions or not, we are all emotional people Mm. so um you know part of our work is to help people recognize identify emotions that they have express them in safe and healthy ways so that they don't um create uh new symptoms or other symptoms or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but as i pointed out earlier not everyone has to deal with uh highly quote repressed emotions in order to heal right so i also think that you know even just from reading your book and doing the majority of of the exercises i think that after you do that and after you learn the tools to manage your emotions you then know you know, when when an emotional situation happens or when if you have an anxious day or you get upset by an argument with someone, like you now have the tools to safely let those emotions 
rise and then deal with them and then and then they're released and you're not actually repressing them you're kind of addressing them you're working through them and in turn you won't necessarily get pain from emotional situations if that's what you've experienced in the past i agree with you Mm -hmm. so i just thought that was an important point to mention as well like i think that if you're someone who's prone to having physical pain from emotional situations once you learn how to deal with the emotions you won't get pain every time you're upset or you're anxious or fearful or whatever it is and even for me like now i notice all the time even if it's something really small i'm like oh maybe you know, maybe I have a headache right now, a mild headache, because I actually am a little bit anxious about this. But in the past, I wouldn't have considered that anxious. I would have just, I wouldn't even have been able to pay attention to certain things that go on in my life. I don't know why, but you're just not aware. Correct. Um, okay. Next question is, can a severe bladder infection leading to pain all the time damage the nerve or is that TMS? No, a bladder infection is very unlikely to damage any nerves, mm-hmm. number one. Uh, number two, bladder infections are almost always easily treatable. Yeah. So if someone has a bladder infection and, and they you know, they have a urine culture, which shows what, what bacteria it is, and they take the correct antibiotic that covers that bacteria, the symptoms... Uh, the urinary tract infection will be cured mm-hmm. if pain continues after the so you, then you can and you can know that by repeating the urine culture the urine culture then will be negative right so if the urine culture is now negative but you're still having pain that is a mind body condition mm-hmm. okay next question what if you haven't had any childhood trauma but have chronic pain, in this case, interstitial cystitis? Well, if you haven't had childhood trauma, then that's good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy for you. (laughs) It would be easier, you know, theoretically, it's easier to get better because you don't, there's one one less thing you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, every, like I say, we're all highly emotional people in some ways, so it may be that emotions may have started this or, you know, stressful life events may have started this. Uh, but as I said before, the symptoms may be continuing now or maybe activated slowly because of these neural circuits in the brain that we, that you can learn to change rewiring your brain, reprogramming your brain by the techniques that are not necessarily emotional techniques, Mm -hmm. but techniques that we are now calling pain reprocessing therapy, uh, which is you know, avoiding those five F's that I talked about, looking at the symptom in a completely different way as a friend, as a protector, as something you need to befriend and learn from, uh, something uh, beginning to separate from the symptom and observing it with interest and curiosity rather than fear and frustration, and gradually beginning to do more and more things without fear in your life. Mm-hmm. Are there certain therapists that specialize in specialize in this pain reprocessing therapy? Because I know I'm going to get a lot of questions about that. Yeah, uh, I've been working with um, 
Alan Gordon and Christy Weepy, two uh, social workers, mm-hmm. uh, on this over the last several years, and we uh, we conducted a back pain research study, randomized controlled trial at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And as part of that study, uh, we used this technique, pain reprocessing therapy. We did not use um, emotional processing uh, components to this to the, in this research study. Mm-hmm. In our fibromyalgia research study, in contradistinction, we did use only emotional processing uh, techniques, and we found those to be superior to cognitive, standard cognitive behavioral therapy for pain. Right. In this, that was with fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. In this back pain study we just finished, which hasn't been published yet, uh, we used pain reprocessing therapy uh, only, and we found that of the people we treated, 75% of them had become pain-free after one month. So wow. it was very exciting. And uh, Alan Gordon, my friend and colleague, is at the Pain Psychology Center in Los Angeles. And that's what that's the treat therapy that he they use to treat their uh, clients. And uh, in the next year, uh, Alan and I are going to be... Um, creating a ton of training for therapists uh, in this, in well, for physicians in diagnosing mind-body conditions and for therapists in using pain reprocessing uh, techniques. And in terms of resources, uh, the uh, PPD, Associ- PPD Association, ppdassociation.org, uh, has a directory of of physicians and therapists who do mind-body uh, condition or TMS type work. Uh, the TMSWiki.org has uh, a directory of therapists as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Another question about pudendal nerve entrapment. So is pudendal nerve entrapment a TMS-related issue when it is structural? Pudendal nerve entrapment is rare. Yeah. So I can't say never. You know, I would never say never without it. You know, without evaluating somebody. Mm -hmm. But the vast, I can say, the vast majority of people who are diagnosed with pudendal neuralgia or or told they have pudendal nerve entrapment do not Mm. have an entrapped nerve. Mm -hmm. And again, the proof of that is usually simple to prove based on the criteria that I was mentioning earlier uh, the, the how the pain sh- may shift or move or be different at different times of day come and go with different activities be inconsistent with different activities and or be triggered by innocuous uh, stimuli mm-hmm. okay next question do antidepressants for vulvodynia actually eliminate pain? How do they work with the body? Um, antidepressants have been used for depression and for anxiety and for chronic pain. Uh, I've written a, another book called Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression, where I talk much more specifically about these medications and how effective they are. They are actually quite effective for depression, for example. Uh, 75% of people who take an antidepressant who have mild to moderate depression are improved after about six weeks. 
but 72% of the people who take the placebo are equally improved. So <laughs> it's not clear <laughs> that, uh, and I've written about this extensively, it's not clear that antidepressants are doing all that much. The placebo effect means that we have it within our own power to heal. We have it within our own brain to uh, reverse neural circuit type symptoms. So for some people, antidepressants can be extremely valuable uh, for chronic pain conditions and other people don't respond at all. Um, I don't think it's actually the antidepressant itself, frankly, mm -hmm. based on the literature, as I mentioned. So antidepressants don't work on pain per se. They, you know, they, they work on neurochemicals in the brain but the fact is, is that people with depression, anxiety, and chronic pain do not have abnormal neurochemicals in the brain in the first place. They right. don't need. <laughs> right. They don't need an antidepressant in my to to get better. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I mean, some people with severe depression and severe symptoms certainly may benefit from an antidepressant. I'm not against medications in general. Uh, but if you can accurately diagnose the cause of your symptoms as a neural circuit problem, then why not treat them you right. know, by, by changing your brain? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the last two questions are closely related in that, and you know, a lot of, because I'm close with a lot of physical, pelvic floor physical therapists, and they, at least a lot that I, have a relationship with are very well aware of mind-body medicine you know whether it's worked for them because they have their own experience with chronic pain or whether they just know what it is or have heard from other patients how it's helped and and are interested in implementing it into their practice because they know that a lot of men and women with pelvic pain could benefit from a mind-body medicine approach. However, the issue is they don't know how to implement it into their plan of care, or they don't know how to even describe your work to patients. So the two questions I got in regards to this were one, how can those working in physical medicine, such as occupational therapists and physical therapists implement this work into their practice and what's the best way to describe your book for example to patients in chronic pain and that's coming from a pelvic floor physical therapist right i've been working with charlie merrill a physical therapist from boulder colorado and charlie and i have put on uh, some training specifically for physical therapists so there is training or physical therapists or occupational therapists who work with uh, people with mind-body syndromes and particularly pelvic pain syndromes uh, in training how to talk to people about it and what kind of techniques that they can use as a physical therapist to help people recover. Uh, this is a huge and very important area. Uh, we are beginning to call this PRTPT, mm -hmm. <laughs> pain reprocessing therapy, physical therapy. Right. And right, and physical therapists uh, are in a great position to work with people since they spend a fair amount of time with them. Um, and the main thing that physical therapists can do is they can, because they are diagnosticians, they can diagnose people. 
and they can use the criteria that we've established uh, that are in our books. And I've also written a book called Hidden from View, which is for professionals on how to diagnose and how to treat these conditions, by the way. Hmm. And, and those, all those uh, criteria are in the books. And so they can accurately diagnose people with who will come in with diagnoses such as pudendal neuralgia, interstitial cystitis, pelvic floor dysfunction, vulvodynia. And they can accurately diagnose them as having mind-body conditions. And they can explain to them in a loving and caring and compassionate way that they know their symptoms are real and not imaginary and not made up and not their fault. And at the same time, they can offer them hope for getting better. And they can reassure them that they're not damaged. And they can work on their, on their uh, muscles uh, in a way that helps the patient understand that they're not damaged or diseased. They don't, their muscles don't need fixing. Mm. They just need relaxing. And when you combine the physical therapy with, with mind-body therapy of uh, understanding that they're healthy and well, that they're not broken, that they're not damaged, that their symptoms are due to their brain, that they can work with them in the ways that I've talked about, um, then they can combine those two therapies and have you know really really great results that's amazing thank you so so much i know that everyone listening is going to learn a lot from this and be very appreciative of you answering over 10 questions are there any other resources that you have to recommend uh i've mentioned a couple um, you have. There's a, um, and you can, you know, put them on your website mm-hmm. or send them out to people, the TMS Wiki, the PPD Association. Uh, my website is unlearnyourpain.com. And there's a variety of, of lectures and videos there. Uh, there is, uh, there's another documentary movie called This Might Hurt, which is now out, which is filmed at my hospital with a group of my patients mm-hmm. and I will send you the link for that. I People think watch that. I was trying to watch that and maybe it was a few weeks ago and it wasn't released yet. Yeah, it's now out. Um, okay. It, it, we have a, and we have a special offer. It costs money because the filmmakers spent mm-hmm. jobs of their own money making this film and, you know, seven years doing it. Uh, but it does cost money, but, um, uh, for $15, you can see the movie and you can help the filmmakers recoup some of their losses mm-hmm. since they were so committed to this field. It's called This Might Hurt. I'll, I'll send you the link for that. Amazing. Um, I'm excited to watch uh, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, I think it's great. Um, people who are interested in, in uh, my book, Unlearn Your Pain or Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression, if you want, I'll send, your, I'll send you a coupon code or $10 off for the book. Thank you. would be interested in that. Um, that can be redeemed only through my website, not through Amazon. Amazon mm-hmm. doesn't allow the coupons, but I do. <laughs> uh, so those are uh, a couple other things that you might. Um, Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to contact you, is there a best way for them to go about doing so uh yeah my email which is available on my website unlearnyourpain.com 
great. Thank you again. This was amazing. I am so happy that we did this and, and that I got you to come on the Beehive because you are definitely a big influence in the work that I'm doing and in a lot of my followers and listeners work. I know that they've really started to take on the mind body medicine approach. So this was a really important episode and conversation. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Hannah. You take care. You too.